Hello, it's Kerry and Rachel. Rachel, what are you doing? You got all the good words. <laughs> Welcome to Dirty Vegetables, a podcast where we discuss hot topics in the vegan world, exposing the dirt on animal industries and sharing our complete adoration for vegetables. 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 So welcome along to the next episode of Dirty Vegetables. This episode is named Sabretoothed Human. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about our anatomy and our ancestors' eating habits in regards to veganism. The main points in this episode are going to be, are humans more carnivore or herbivore? What did primitive humans eat to evolve? And the circle of life debunked. And the question that we're going to focus on is, are humans actually biologically better suited to a plant-based diet? Dun, dun, dun. So before we get in, how are you, Carrie? What have you been up to? Hello, everyone. Hi, Rachel. How's it going? Um, Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. I've just moved back to Edinburgh. So there's like a lot of adjustment going on. Everything's changing. (laughs) which I'm normally quite good at um, adapting to change, but I just feel like there's just so much. Um, the move over was stressful as anything. So I'm glad that that's over. But um, yeah, I'm living at the minute with like two babies and there's like another baby that keeps coming around. And this is something I was a bit like, oh, living with babies is a bit mental. But it's been so lovely. <laughs> so like anytime I'm like stressed out or feeling a bit crap, you just go pick up a baby. You pick it up and then, you know, when it cries, you can give it back and it's great. So, yeah, just just adjusting um, and also adjusting to being in a house again that eats a lot of meat as well. So this is new for me, um, not being like a fully vegan household. So, But yeah, I've discovered the library. And by the way, I didn't know that people actually went to the library for so long. <laughs> um, but in Belfast, I discovered that rediscovered the library, and it's so good. You can just go get books. Like I, I know that everyone knows that, but like I don't feel like nobody really uses it. But anyway, I've got two books out. One is called Optimal Nutrition for Vegans, and I'm just kind of like placing it about the house, <laughs> hoping that someone may just pick it up and go, "Hey, this is amazing! Like this is so good." So um, yeah. Overall, I'm doing good, but still just sort of settling in and finding my bearings, although it's really nice because I live beside the beach now. So that is like nice. But Rachel, (laughs) I I need to know how was the festival? How was defected? (laughs) Well, that sounds very good. And I'm happy to hear that you're settling in well and that you're enjoying Edinburgh and time with babies. That's very positive news. On my side, yes, I was just at a festival, Defected Croatia, and it was, of course, incredible. I had such a good time, it was so good to catch up with friends that I hadn't seen, like my friend Saskia, we worked out that we hadn't seen each other for over three years, which is crazy. So it was just super nice to catch up. Oh, Saskia was there. Yeah, Saskia and Luz. Yeah, they, they both came. So that was like, it was so much fun and it was so fun to show them a festival that I knew that they would just love. Um, and the music is of a very 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 high standard if you're into house music then you've got to go to experience like 
DJs doing it to that um, calibre. It's very impressive. And it was a lot of fun, but I don't know if I would do it again. I thought that I was going to go and I was going to be like, this is an annual thing that I'm going to do for the rest of my life. <laughs> but in, in reality, I was kind of like, I still had an amazing time. I loved all my outfits. I had so much fun. I partied hard. I allowed myself to just go completely wild for a week because it is it's a week. It's six yeah, days that's quite long. of festivaling, which is a long time. But at the end of it, like having to deal with like the recovery and stuff, I'm mm. kind of just like I think I've been there, done that now. And I do think that my tastes, even in just this one year have tra- of traveling, have actually quite dramatically changed and this Um, revealed that to me which was really interesting like the things that I just thought were incredible last time didn't have the same attraction this time and I've realized that the sort of festivals that I really want to find are kind of like burning man vibes now Mm. I really want to find like a hippie festival where people are wearing like super cool sustainable groovy clothing it's all natural it's all plant-based all the food is vegan like people are eating off like everything recyclable and everyone's got their reusable bottles and stuff like that like that would just really appeal to me was it not very sustainable then yeah i mean they have put efforts into making it better to give them credit like they've done away with the single-use cups you're meant to take your cup back to get another drink it's kind of like a thicker plastic but no one does that everyone just drops them on the floor and puts or puts them in the bin oh it's annoying it doesn't really work um and they do have water refill points they've only got one and it's not very well signposted so again people don't really do that and they'll just keep on buying bottles Mm. and in terms of the food i remember last year we were just so excited to find one vegan like food option that that was kind of enough to satisfy us because we thought that there might not even be any but this year around it's kind of like "Mm, there should really be more than one like there's like an asian an asian place and it was just all meat there was like a burger place all meat a pizza place all cheese and meat and then there was like one vegan place and it and the vegan place was amazing they did they did it really well but it's like there should be more than this yeah it should be like encouraging more sustainability and um i don't know but, but it was good i'm glad i did it again and it was so fun to see people that we met last year that went again that was really cool to be like oh we saw you last year it's been a whole year we've been doing this van life thing and but I think last year was particularly special because it was like the perfect antidote to the pandemic that we were still very much in. Like I wasn't even vaccinated at that point and people still had to wear masks everywhere. There were so many restrictions. So the fact that people were able to do this festival, it just felt like an absolute joy because you could connect with humans again. You could hug, you could listen to live music, you could do all mm. the things that we weren't allowed to do for so long. That I think that's why it felt so like unbelievably incredible, and this year like I experienced new stuff too. We went we went on the boat parties, which were so cool, but it just didn't. I don't didn't know. Hit. I just don't think I need to do it again. I think I've done it now. I'm really surprised that you said that because you were like so adamant that it was going to be just as amazing as the last time. And I guess when you build your hopes up that much, you're almost always going to be like a tiny bit disappointed. Yeah but I'm surprised it didn't have more vegan things. I feel like festivals always have that nowadays. Yeah. So weird. I would definitely love like a pure vegan festival with like all really hippie vibes. I've seen a lot of them actually advertise online and stuff. I, I really want to find one. Yeah. Just like, I feel like we would like that same kind of festival. 
Well, this brings us into our dirty ingredient of the week, which is chia seeds. And these are incredibly good for you, which I will explain in due course. But first, just to talk about where they originate, um, the chia seeds comes from the desert plant Salvia hispanica, which is a member of the mint family. And its origin is believed to be in Central America, where the seed was a staple of the ancient Aztec diet. And most common uses are chia egg. And I'm sure you vegans out there have heard of the chia egg before. So it's basically where you like combine a small quantity of chia seeds with a small quantity of liquid, normally a plant milk or a water. And mixing these two things together creates this kind of like gelatinous consistency. And if you use it in baking, it like really works well as an egg substitute. It kind of creates that binding quality of an egg. So chia eggs are up there. And the next most common use of chia seeds is got to be chia pudding. And this is something that I actually really like and I eat it fairly regularly for breakfast because it's so simple. But you basically you mix chia seeds with a plant milk, leave it in the fridge, add some sweetener if you wish. And then it kind of creates, it solidifies up until it's kind of like a thick yogurt consistency. And then you can kind of just top it like you would porridge or something like that with lots of nuts and seeds and fruit and then you've kind of got this delicious fruity light creamy nutritious grab and go breakfast thing it's some it's quite popular in like trendy coffee shops as well you can find it there and how we use it well i've already said i use it mostly in chia pudding how do you use chia seeds carrie well to be honest i just kind of sprinkle them on things like i'll sprinkle them on i, I make a lot of little yogurt bowls with like yogurt fruit nuts peanut butter things like that I just sprinkle a bit of chia on there because I know that it's really good for you. But I've actually never made chia pudding. I've been like wanting to do that for so long. I've seen like a chocolate orange recipe for it <laughs> online that I really want to try. But yeah, I just kind of sprinkle them over. They don't really taste like much, to be honest. So you can just kind of get a wee bit of goodness in there without having to alter the taste of your food i mean probably not very much i think there is kind of a little bit of a subtle kind of nutty flavor but it's not that strong but i think like they're the sort of thing that is a a great kind of base product that you can add loads of flavor to so like with the chia pudding your one probably is really nice and i've got recipe books that have got really like complicated ones too where you added like grated fresh coconut and like pureed fruits and all sorts you can make Mm. it really complicated and if you want to but I I guess it's kind of like the the binding quality that these seeds have that make them so versatile and then you add with Mm. whatever flavor you want to kind of treat it as like a plain yogurt and then add what you want so yeah nutritionally chia seeds they're really rich in fiber antioxidants minerals and heart healthy omega-3 fatty acids and they've been linked to improvement in risk factors for heart disease and diabetes and benefits for digestion and gut health although i think they can actually be a bit problematic for people people can sort of have a slight allergy to them i'm not sure but i've not met anyone like that but i've just heard it recently online Um, But they're really, really easy to incorporate into your diet. Like I said, just sprinkle them on things and you won't even know that they're there. You won't even know. And you can buy them in pretty much any shop nowadays, you know, like Tesco. And you can get different ones like full chia seeds or like milled chia seeds as well. And I think they add that extra pizzazz as well. I think it makes a dish look really foodie and presentable when you sprinkle some chia seeds on top because they've got that like strong black colour. Also like black sesame seeds. That's my favorite to sprinkle on Asian dishes. Alrighty then. So <laughs> point one, 
anatomy. So I'm going to be um, in this section, I'm going to be referring a lot to a blog that's out there, which is called The Comparative Anatomy of Eating. Um, there'll be a link in our show notes if you'd like to look at it. And there's a really comprehensive table in that blog, um, which is really easy to follow and kind of digest. So it's a great thing to look up. It's basically talking about how anatomically similar we are to herbivores and carnivores and omnivores. So it's just looking at where the similarities lie in different parts of our body with these different groups of animals. To start off with, if we look at our intestines, our intestines are actually far more similar to that of herbivores than to carnivores or omnivores. Um, That's because our intestines are very long, they're 10 times our height, and this allows nutrient-dense foods like fruits and vegetables. It gives these nutrient-dense foods enough time to pass through our intestines and basically for our intestines to absorb as much nutrients as possible. And this is something that's very indicative of herbivores where they're eating only plant-based foods where they want to try and get as much nutrients out as possible. If you look at carnivores, for example, or alternatively, they have far shorter intestines. They're only more like five times their height. And this is because they need the meat, the flesh, to pass through as quickly as possible so that it doesn't have enough time to decompose. Because when meat starts to decompose in the intestine, it can release toxic chemicals. And that's what happens in humans. Because our intestines are so long, meat actually starts decomposing in our intestines before it's got a chance to pass all the way through. Um, and this leads to a buildup of toxins in our digestive tract, and it's been linked to a lot of diseases, but most commonly um, colon cancer. So yeah, if we're looking at our anatomy and we're looking at our intestines and comparing them to different animals, it would seem that our intestines are actually a lot more similar to herbivores and far more designed to deal with herbivore food. So another thing that is compared on this table and that a lot of people sort of use as an argument against veganism is that they say that, oh, well, humans have canine teeth, which are designed to eat meat. But actually, if you look at it a bit closer, our canines are so much smaller and far blunter than canines of carnivores. So like if you look at a lion or a tiger, they've got these big, long, sharp teeth that can attack and like rip the flesh of an animal, whereas our little stubby teeth would never ever be able to do that there's no way we'd be able to rip through fur and skin and flesh of whole animals the way that they could i've actually came across this is really really random story that is sort of related but when i was younger i remember someone i might have been like a monk there was some religious sort of person who was on the street and handed me this book just when i was in town And I took it, I'd really love to know where this book is because I was quite young at the time, like early teens. And the first few pages were talking about how our teeth were not meant to eat meat. And I think that's something that's really stuck with me. But if you look at this table that Rachel talked about before, you'll see that if you look at the teeth of animals such as like donkeys, you know, they're those round, they're the same kind of shape as ours. They're much bigger, but they're the same shape. It's that blunt teeth that are used to sort of chew the grass. And yeah, and even at looking at other um, herbivorous animals like rhinos and hippos, um, they actually have enormous canine teeth, like bigger than um, tigers and lions, and they don't eat any meat at all. And maybe our canine teeth could be useful even for an- like plants and vegetables and fruits, and it's not just for meat. Um, so yeah, I think that it's time that we kind of let go of that that statement that our canine teeth means that we can eat meat because it's just not the case they're a lot more blunt a lot more round 
um, and we just would not mm. be able to rip through like fur, flesh, and bone the way that a true canine can with just our teeth. It's just impossible. There's no way. Yeah, exactly. And even if you look at like our jaw as well, like the size of our jaw is so much smaller. The shape of our jaw is smaller. Like, and the way that we actually eat the food is much more similar to that of herbivores. So like that chewing, that side to side chewing that we're doing all the time is very similar to that of like a rabbit, that sort of chewing. Yeah. Rather than, you know, an animal like a tiger or a lion that's just ripping it and sort of chewing it quickly and swallowing it straight away, which we absolutely could not do. Also further to this, our body just isn't designed the same way as animals that eat a lot of meat. Like, you know, humans, if you eat a lot of saturated fat, it clogs up our arteries. And also in terms of saliva as well, carnivore saliva doesn't contain amylase, which is used to break down carbs, essentially. But ours does. Ours contains amylase as well as animals like rabbits alongside that chewing side to side. So that whole mouth area is very similar to those of herbivores, essentially. Yeah, very true. And also stomach acidity, it's a similar point. Um, We would get very sick or even die if we ate a lot of raw, unprocessed meats. And that's because we don't have this acidity in our stomach to break down the bacteria of raw flesh. Um, The pH of our stomach acid is four to five, whereas that of a carnivore is equal to one, less or equal to one, which is highly, highly acidic. And that's why that their bodies can can process and deal with the diets that they eat and and we can. And also another thing, if we look at our nails versus claws, um, if you look at the claws of a carnivore, they're very, very, very long, sharp and strong. And that's so that they can catch their prey and rip apart the flesh. Um, and we would not be able to do that um, the way they can. Fair enough. We've evolved so that we can use tools. But if we're just anatomically looking at our bodies alone, we don't possess the same abilities or qualities that, that these carnivores have. A final point that I want to make, and this is one that Gary Urofsky, I'm really sorry if I'm saying the name wrong, <laughs> um, makes, but he's a huge vegan activist. He has a very famous YouTube video that's had millions and millions of views. It was actually released 10 years ago, which I think is pretty cool. And it's where he's talking to university students about veganism. Um, and then he does this really long question and answer session at the end and he just has he's got all the knowledge I really recommend looking him up online I'm pretty sure it's called the best speech you've ever heard or something clickbait and he talks about instincts and he says that if you put a bunny and you put a carrot in front of a baby and ask the baby or let the baby choose which one it tried to eat and which one it tried to play with it goes without saying that the child would choose to eat the carrot and play with the bunny so if we look at our instincts and what we feel the drive to do, it's far more inclined towards sourcing and eating fruits and veggies rather than um, hunting and killing meat, animals for meat. Yeah, I think, you know, from we're babies, you know, we're fed meat and that's just the way it is. We're fed milk, we're fed eggs and that's just... I'd love to know what it would be like for a human to be born with no influence. I mean, it would be amazing to find out no influence from anything but even in terms of food if a, if a child was born into a world that they didn't have an influence on food and they were just sort of left how would they react like would they go out and kill animals or is that just been something that's been passed down yeah. over the years so like i mentioned hunting there um and this probably is the this is the closest remaining practice we have to kind of like the humane consumption of meat a lot of people 
say and there there's parts of that that I actually agree with and that's because I think that if if we look at a hunter um like an animal situation that is more similar to kind of like predator and prey than anything else that we have so we've like domesticated farm animals over millennia so that they will live alongside us and trust us um and kind of coexist with us whereas if we look at a hunter and gather hunter and prey situation these animals have not evolved to live alongside us and to trust us and they still very much will try and get away from us if they hear us coming so we need to try and use our intellect our tools and a lot of strategy in order to try and catch an animal such as a deer in order to to skin it and eat it and if a hunter is prepared to go through all those steps so they've got the tools they've got the knowledge they're going to go out into the wild they're going to track down an animal try and hunt it kill it skin it eat it then I think that that is at least that's a little bit more connected to what meat actually is and at least the animal hasn't been Mm. lulled into some false sense of security that it's within their best interests to live alongside us they don't want to live alongside us they're scared of us and they try to get away And that's what happens between our carnivorous animals in the wild and when they're trying to catch their prey. These animals are trying to get away, they're terrified, they're scared, and it's kind of just a competition to see who can win. Um, That doesn't mean to say that I endorse hunting or that I would ever hunt myself. There's no way I would ever hunt and there's no way I could ever kill an animal. Um, So I would never do it and I would never eat meat for that reason. But what do you think? What are your thoughts about hunting? Yeah, I actually completely agree with you. And I think the good thing about hunting is that when someone goes out and kills the animal, they take it back and they'll use all of the parts of the animal, you know, generally. Whereas if you buy something now in a supermarket, it's in a little plastic container and it's just a tiny little portion of the animal and the rest is probably like thrown away or, you know, wasted. I know in a lot of countries like France, for example, they use a lot more of the animal, which I just think is just... If you're going to kill it, like at least use all that you can in it. Like if you go into a French supermarket, you'll see like brains and like tongues and random stuff like that. It's pretty gross. But um, but yeah, I, I definitely think if you're going out and you're going through that whole process. And I think a lot of people who hunt, you know, I mean, obviously not hunting for like metals or whatever, that weird sort of thing that happens, but actually hunting for food I think a lot of people that still do that you know they really appreciate the food that they're eating and it's sort of a lot of time it's quite ritualistic and it is sort of in the wild and yeah yeah I definitely agree and like even if you look at history like even in mid-Victorian era men would use like three to four and a half thousand calories per day and women would be like two and a half three and a half thousand because we had to hunt and gather food and water and there was no fridges that you could just leave it in there for a week. So all the food was organic and whole and they only caught whatever they could eat. And I think that's a big thing, you know, with even people hunting now, they'll, okay, they might refrigerate or freeze it or whatever, but they'll eat it all and they'll get through it and it'll last for a long time. So yeah, we don't use the same calories anymore. Like we just, us as humans can't even expend that many calories a day because we just don't move as much where it was very different back in those days um like I'm the same as you I couldn't kill an animal and that was one of the big realizations I had like one of the main reasons I went vegan because I had this moment of like oh my god I I could never like go and kill an animal like I could never just grab like a chicken or a cow or whatever and just kill it there and then 
Mm. You know, like, I, yeah, that's just not, <laughs> not something I could do. In terms of being natural, it definitely seems more natural to go out and kill the animal and eat it there and then. Like, I have actually respect for people that do that instead of buying it in a little package in Tesco and <laughs> so, so disconnected from nature. At least if you're going out and actually killing it, there's some connection there because people really disconnect when they buy the meat in the shop. You know, it's like they don't see it as an animal. And sometimes you'll say to people, oh, if you do say that to people about it being an 100%. animal, people are like, oh, like 100%. they don't want to hear it. They don't want to know. So moving on to the next point, um, we've discussed our anatomy in terms of um, what we eat and is it more conducive to herbivores or carnivores. Um, and next, let's look about our let's look at our ancestors and what were they eating in order for us to evolve and to turn into modern day man that we are. So it's actually thought that our ancestors got most of their nutrition from gathered fruits and nuts, and successful kills of big mammals may have been more of a treat than than an everyday reality. And a recent paper suggests that even Neanderthals, which is our North Country cousins and mates, may have eaten much more plant material than previously suspected. So we, we touched on this before, that the notion that, you know, hunters and gatherers, we ate meat to evolve. That's why we should eat meat now. It's natural. Well, really, <clears throat> that might be true. And I think that um, that the advent of fire and our ability to cook meat allowed us to travel to far more inhospitable and remote parts of the world and explore and evolve in many ways, which is huge and very important. But the everyday stuff that our ancestors were actually eating were far more plant-based, it seems. And these meat catches happened few and far between and the places that they happened most often were in environments where it was far less easy for fruits and vegetables to naturally grow. Kind of a nod to this is the paleo diet. So the paleo diet has become very popular in recent years. I do feel it's kind of fizzled out a little bit now, but for a while it was a real kind of like buzz topic. And it was kind of the notion that we should eat the diets that our guts are most adapted to deal with. Um, but I read a blog on this and essentially in this blog they're comparing our gut to our closest closest remaining living ancestor which would be chimps, apes, monkeys. So when we're comparing our guts to the guts of these closest living ancestors it would seem that we are far more geared to plant-based based lifestyle because the diets of nearly all monkeys and apes are compared to fruits, nuts, seeds and insects and the occasional sack of lizard. Our guts are remarkably similar to those of chimpanzees and orangutans. And if you were to sketch and then consider the guts of different monkeys, apes and humans, you would stop before you were finished, unable to remember which one you had drawn and which one you had not. So yeah, it would seem that our, our most natural and most primitive diet and the one that our ancestors were eating for, for a very, very long time was primarily plant-based. And Dr. Neil Bernard talks about this in The Power of Your Plate. He talks about the human's early diet, explaining that we had diets much more like great, great apes, which, which is to say a, a largely plant-based diet. Meat eating probably began by scavenging, eating the leftovers that carnivores had left behind. However, our bodies have never adapted to it. 
To this day, meat eaters have a higher instance of heart disease, cancer, diabetes and other problems. And this kind of point of our bodies never really adapted to deal with it still kind of holds true because there's parts of the world where they've never really included dairy into their diets. Groups like the Pima tribe, the the Chinese and Thai and the Bantu of West Africa continue to be lactose intolerant, intolerant today because they do not consume dairy products, um, so their bodies are not able to process lactose. So yeah, I feel like this whole topic and looking at our ancestors and what they ate kind of debunks this whole it's natural to eat meat, our ancestors ate meat to survive argument, when in reality I think our ancestors relied more on plant-based foods. And it's also, just to finish with this point and then I'll hand it over to you, it's also thought that um, it was actually high carbohydrate foods, kind of like tough tubers um, and things like this, things that were really starchy, like really, really firm potatoes and things like that. It's actually argued that these were linked to kind of our neural development and what allowed humans to like evolve the consciousness that they have um, been able to evolve to. And it's less likely to be linked to the meat that they consumed. It's more thought to be these like carbohydrate rich vegetables that led to our kind of neural development which i think is also quite interesting too is this why the irish are just so ahead of their time because they're just eating so many spuds (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's there's a really interesting article on the national geographic um that talks about the evolution of our diet it's quite objective and informative it doesn't really swing in either direction like it's not pro-vegan or pro-meat whatever but i think something that's really important to note that I really realized from this article was that we just really adapt our surroundings. So there's loads of tribes that live or mostly lived because there's not as many tribes nowadays, but that lived solely on meat or fish. So for example, there would be sort of like Inuit tribes that would eat a lot of like whale blubber and a lot of seals and stuff like that. They live in such icy conditions that literally nothing can grow. So they can't be picking fruit off the trees because there literally is no trees to pick fruit off. But there's such a contrast between wild animals and wild fish compared to farm animals that are like cooped up um, inside and they're not getting all the fresh air and energy that they need. They're not wild. They're not growing as they should be. Like wheel blubber, for example, is like 70% monounsaturated fat and like 30% omega-3. So it's like super good for you compared to the stuff that we're eating, like farmed fish and that has all sorts of different things going on in it. And yeah, it's actually quite interesting if you look at the people who are part of this, these tribes who have moved into, you know, westernized areas, places that sell processed food. This is when these people have started to get diseases like heart disease. So, you know, it just shows that so much of this is due to the processed nature of our food and how it's not eaten something that's naturally from the earth the way they are doing, even if it's not what the sort of diet that we prescribe to at least it's a natural way of doing things and they're using what is available for them there another point that's really interesting to make on this is about for example the appearance of fruit and vegetable versus meat you know fruit can generally fit in your hand it's got smooth edges it's soft and you can mostly eat it raw Um, it's attractive to the eye it's got these bright colors and it smells fresh and for compared to meat which is like wet and slimy and tough and bloody what do we do to 
We take a piece of meat, we skin it, we chop it into tiny pieces that can fit in our hand. We cook it to remove any blood and make it softer. We cover it in plants to alter the taste, like we cover it in salt and pepper and oil and all of this. And how different is that from the fruit that just seems so easy to pick off the tree and take a bite of? There's a guy, Dr. Milton Mills, who covers this. He was actually um, part of What the Health, a really famous like vegan documentary. But you can find this guy's, um, he's got loads of videos online and he's part of this um, website called Plant Based News. Mm-hmm. But he also talks about things like, even aside from the food aspect, you know, we use perfumes and products that smell like fruit and vegetables to attract others, not vegetables, <laughs> not like don't smell like carrots but you know we'll spray like fruit perfumes over us and you don't see anybody spraying like blood on their neck to attract others you know it just doesn't make any sense unless you're in one of those weird like vampire cults but you know generally people aren't using the meat and flesh smells to attract people you know we're, we're attracted to fruit we're attracted to that earthy fresh things even just things like um, washing powder and things it's all those fresh earthy smells and it's it also creates this illusion these smells of health and of freshness and things like that so I just think it's really interesting the actual what we think we want so we we want meat oh yeah we're a meat-based society but yet we gravitate towards other things as well I think it's about making those connections in your brain of like, what actually is this? Like I talked about before, like if you buy a piece of meat from the shop, do you actually think about it coming from an animal or are we just so disconnected as a society that we don't even see that anymore? Yeah, that's, that's such a good point. Um, very well said. And I don't, I think it's, it's very hard to argue with that. Like fruit and vegetables naturally are just so much more desirable to us and we have far more instinctual urge to eat those compared to certainly live animals. But even just like you said, like a raw bit of meat, um, we'd probably we'd die if we ate a lot of meat um, raw. So it does suggest that it's not something that we'd naturally eat. But if all these arguments that we're making about how like, well, our bodies aren't actually that adapted to eat to meat, anatomically speaking, and um, evolutionary speaking, our ancestors weren't actually that reliant on meat apart from people that traveled to more inhospitable areas, then why do we eat meat? And this was mentioned in a PETA argument, um, and it's, so why do we eat meat? And Brianna Pobiner, paleoanthropologist at the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History, adds fruit and different plants and other things that we may have eaten maybe became less available. The meat eating that we do or that our ancestors did, even back to the earliest time we were eating meat, is culturally mediated. You need some kind of processing technology in order to eat meat, so I don't necessarily think we are hardwired to eat meat. And I just think that that's such a key point that kind of like really hit home for me personally. It's like it is, it's culturally premeditated basically. You have to do a lot in order to eat meat. You have to like raise the animals if you're doing livestock um, and then go through the whole process of killing, butchering, processing, packaging, transporting. Or even if you're hunting and gathering, you have to go through a huge process in order to find your catch, kill it and eat it. Um, And it's something that requires a lot of thought and a lot of processing in order to do. So it's something that we can do, but it's not necessarily something that we're hardwired to do the way that we're hardwired to go and grab an apple out of a tree and take a big juicy bite out of it. 
Okay, so our third point that we're going to talk about is the circle of life debunked. And a lot of people will say this to vegans, you know, eating meat is part of the circle of life. You know, animal eats animal. You've all seen the diagram and then it dies and it goes around again and happens with all plants and animals, etc, etc. But the part that really questions this is the way we raise animals. So like, I mean, we've sort of brought this up throughout the whole episode about the hunting. Yes, if you're going out and hunting your animals, eating them, it passes through you, whatever, goes back into the earth. Yeah, okay. But at the minute, we're not going out and killing animals like that. You know, we are making weird animals. We're making, as Rachel always says, this term like Frankenstein freaks of animals through selective breeding. There's genetic engineering animals which we had originally domesticated through throughout the millennia so they now trust us and they work alongside us and we keep them in the worst conditions ever and there's obviously we kill them and and then end up putting them in plastic packaging and that doesn't seem to me or to us that doesn't seem really like that is part of the circle of life which part of the circle of life is putting in a little plastic box you know it doesn't really feel like it fits into that and when we get it, you know, from a supermarket, it it's often really bad for us. You know, I when you go into a supermarket, there's so little like things you can just pick up. I think even like people will choose the three peppers in a plastic packet rather than just lifting a pepper. So I think, you know, it, that argument kind of falls flat a little bit. But I also think that we are part of nature. But sometimes there's part of this point that I actually really do question. And there's, this is something I think about all the time when I'm having one of many existential crises, <laughs> crises. So we are part of nature. And I think a lot of humans sort of have disconnected from this idea that we're part of nature. Like all animals on this planet, we are all in a web of connection, no matter what. Our bodies feed insects when we die. And then those insects are then eaten by a bird. And then the bird is then eaten by whatever. And our body goes up this, this sort of food chain. But the reality is that we have all come from the same place, us including the hippo, inclu- including the plants. You know, we have come from this natural place. And I think because we are so disconnected now, we're in houses and we're in cars and absorbed in our phones that it feels like we're not part of nature, but we actually are. So we have evolved to create this technology as part of a natural process, I guess, as part of evolution in some way we now use tools and we use electric which is still insane to me but whether this is good or bad does this not still make it natural if we have come from nature in the first place like if other animals would have evolved in the same speed at the same speed as us and moved to this like awakening would they be acting the same would they have gone down the same route as creating technologies and put things in plastic? I, I don't know if that question made any sense, but <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah, is, it, is that the natural process that any animal that if it has evolved to the level that humans have, would they ultimately follow the same steps and would they make the same mistakes? And are we operating within a continuum that will always work this way, where we get to a point where we've destroyed our environment and the health of the animals so much that those people speak up and there's massive veganism movement and then maybe the world turns plant-based and then maybe that goes on for a while and then maybe it changes. Pretty much. And then there's another huge revolution and then we're destroying the environment again and blah, blah, blah. Maybe this is like a natural cycle that 
needs to happen despite how horrific it is because think about all the ages that we've had in the past that have come and gone and yeah I know what you mean I think my brother made that point once it's like well imagine if dogs were able to raise animals um and then kill them and eat them don't we think that we they would and well yeah they probably would wouldn't they is this something that is inevitable for whoever's at the top of the food chain but then my counter to that is well we also have the awareness and moral reasoning to be able to analyze what we're doing and and look at data and adapt and realize that it's not serving us anymore and we need to make a change and hopefully that change is permanent and we don't repeat mistakes again but history has a habit of repeating itself yeah that's so true and there's so much that we did 100 years ago that we don't do anymore and vice versa so maybe veganism is this thing that will change in our generation yeah for sure I, i mean we can all hope right So yeah, this kind of concept of debunking the circle of life and a lot of people like like to say, you know, it's the circle of life. That's why we eat animals. Like animals eat animals and it's all part of an ecosystem and it's all working in this, operating in this cycle of replenishment. Um, Well, yeah, it doesn't really seem that anything that we're doing today um, remotely resembles this circle of life for like the reasons that Kerry's already mentioned. And I think there's a blog, it's called Vegan for Everything. And in this blog, it's discussed how we aren't operating within the circle of life and instead we're operating within the corporate circle of life. Um, and I'm going to read out a fairly large extract from here because I just think it sums it up really well, like what's actually going on and how it's not really natural or sustainable in any sort of way. So the corporate circle, something humans created by their greed. The government funds the meat, dairy and egg industries because they bring in the most money. The money from the government funds is used for advertisement, in brackets, brainwashing, and the brainwashing the public into buying their products. Literally every commercial break there is is an advertisement of an animal product, whether it be McDonald's, Wendy's, a milk commercial, a beef commercial, etc. Even drive down a highway and there are tens of hundreds of signs advertising Rutter's or Dairy Queen or something. Anyway, because of this brainwashing and tradition, the public consumes these products and thinks nothing of it. Then they go to the doctor with chest pains and the doctor tells them that they have high blood pressure. Instead of the doctor recommending a lifestyle change, they prescribe the medication. Why? Because there's no money in curing diseases. There's more money in selling someone a drug to lower blood pressure than actually lowering the blood blood pressure permanently. Not only will the patient continue to need medications for blood pressure, but they'll need to buy more medications to to deal with symptoms from the medication and then more medication to clear the liver from all the toxins in the medicine, etc. Healthcare is nothing more than a business. These corporations influence the public and the bad thing is they do not care. They don't care about your health, they don't care about the planet and they don't care about the animals. All these corporations care about is how much money they are going to make. Once you are born, you are in the corporate circle and becoming vegan is the first step to break out of it. Yeah, that's that's such a good perspective on all of it and it just makes so much sense to me. And this is something I always think about when people talk about diseases or ailments they have and it's one of those awkward things that you never really bring up to people because you don't know their backstory and you don't know what's going on or whatever. But a lot of the time I, th- yeah. I do think what have you looked at your diet you know have you is this something you've tried to change Mm -hmm. and I think for a lot of people it's something that is so very precious to them their diet and what they eat 
and it's something that's really hard to change you know I've heard of people becoming like diabetic and they they refuse to change their diet even though you know diabetes can be like life-threatening in the long run there are so many illnesses that are linked to like processed food for example pork which is actually stated on Mm -hmm. health websites that's carcinogenic like people have accepted now that pork is carcinogenic and we know that this is something that is killing us and we're we're like we're in this corporate circle but it's so much easier to just stay there and follow along with everyone else and sometimes it just I, I understand people sort of avoiding that because once you're in that routine especially if you're like an older person yeah who's been in this this lifestyle for maybe 60 50 years whatever it's so hard to make that routine change but if you make that jump it feels like such a satisfying act of activism because me personally like um I had asthma for a number of years um since I was really really young and I got like very very bad chest infections every single year I'd have to go on courses of antibiotics courses of steroids I was taking a daily tablet for my asthma plus really really strong inhalers every day and since changing my lifestyle since becoming vegan and since exercising more often and spending more time in nature where the air is a lot cleaner um my asthma is essentially gone now I've had checkups, I'm asymptomatic and I just have backup inhalers in case I ever have a flare up. So to go from one extreme to the other, when the only thing that's changed is my lifestyle, just shows how much of that Mm. was put into my lifestyle and the fact that I was eating processed meat and I probably wasn't exercising enough and I was spending a lot of time in city air. And you mentioned it before when you were talking about the Inuits that live in the really icy conditions. Like as soon as these um, westernized diets get introduced, like diseases increase. Like to this day, the most westernized diets Mm. are the places with the highest rates of lifestyle conditions, most notably um, heart conditions and blocked arteries and obesity and diabetes. Um, and even issues with your teeth. This is something that I learned recently. Um, fruit and veggies don't get stuck in our teeth the same way that meat fibers do. Um, and that is like linked a lot of the time to like cavities and fillings and all sorts. So yeah, it's just the, the link is, is undeniable now that this highly processed meat is, is, is really bad for your diet. And it's, uh, unfortunately, it's kind of like a sinister intentional cycle that we all kind of live in until you learn enough because people count on that. The industries don't want it to be healthy. Unhealthy, unhappy consumers are the best consumers. They're the best consumers for pretty much everything you can buy and they're the best consumers for medication as well and it just keeps on operating this horrible cycle this ho- of like consumption disease consumption disease consumption disease to just squeeze as much money out of us as possible and it's intentional that these slaughterhouses are hidden away so that no one can see what's actually going on it's intentional that they're using greenwashing and misleading information so that people don't know who to trust it's all very intentional it's intentional that it's normalized to primary school children that when they have a school dinner they have spaghetti bolognese because that's just what you eat like it's all very intentional and it's actually really really liberating to be able to take a step away from it and say I'm going to do life on my own terms now that's something that Wim Hof talks about a lot he's such a proponent proponent of natural methods to optimize your health and his method is incredible if if you've not heard about it which I doubt anyone has at this point but you should definitely look this guy up he's super eccentric and 
amazing and he's got this method where you do very very deep breathing and cold water exposure and med um, meditation plus he's a vegan and he says that his method is the best way to prevent reverse and optimize your disease and optimize your health um and and he says that he's just he's aware of what's going on around him and he looks at these corporations now and he's like okay guys you do your thing whatever i'm not going to be impacted by you anymore but i'm going to live life on my own terms now and i really think that that's what veganism represents for me that's a really well said point rachel and i think it just sums up that whole thing wim hof often says um get high on your own supply <laughs> that rings in my ears but yeah eating it just sums up our whole point I think that eating meat off a shelf isn't really part of the circle of life and like we we don't look at a live cow in the field and think that we want to kill it so unnaturally growing these animals for our consumption that wouldn't be here the animals literally wouldn't be here without us farming them that just doesn't seem like a natural process. And if you visually look at that diagram that we were talking about in the first point, it just doesn't really fit in. Okay, so to conclude, um, this episode has been delving into um, our anatomy, our ancestors, and looking at the circle of life and deciding whether or not basically humans and their biology and their instincts and their nature is more conducive to eating plant-based foods or eating animal products. And an overarching answer for me as um, to the question is, are we actually better designed to be vegans is yes. Considering modern day and considering how our bodies are designed, which foods are best for our health, how far removed our current system is to any natural ecosystem and the impending doom of our planet because of this, I believe it's fair to say that the best and most importantly, the most natural diet we can be eating is plant-based. What do you think? Yes, I completely agree, Rachel. I think our bodies aren't visually or effectively designed to eat and process meat the way we are told they are. And we often overlook the reality of the past whilst making this point, I think. Although I do think that this is based on the unnatural, over-processed lifestyle that we've been raised to, rather than that sort of tribal life that has evolved through hunting and consuming what they need and what's actually available. I mean, to me, this sort of these arguments that we've talked about are largely based on that Western way of life, that very unnatural, detached from nature, detached from the animals that were eaten way of life. In today's world, we just have absolutely everything available to us. We've got too much choice and so much marketing and information that's going into our heads that we're consuming, consuming, consuming that, you know, it's really hard to go back to that natural way of life. And I think definitely veganism is a really good start and a good step to moving back to nature and moving back to eating proper like plant foods that we seem to be more designed to eat. We'd love to hear from you guys. What do you think? Do you think humans are naturally better suited to a vegan diet or something else? Let us know. You can email us at dirtyvegetables at gmail.com. Vegetables with a Z. Don't forget the Z. Or you can head over to our website, www.dirtyvegetables.com, where we're going to have our show notes with all of our sources that we've used for this podcast, plus all the other podcast episodes as well as some recipes and other goodies, head on over there. It's our hub. Um, and also check out our Instagram. 
at Dirty Vegetables. Um, and thank you very much for listening. Um, and we'll speak to you next time. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. And we will see you all next Bye. week. Bye.